Welcome to the Art of Mathematics. I'm Carol Jacoby. And joining us today is Catherine McCormick, who's a professor of mathematics at California State University, Long Beach. Welcome, Catherine. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Oh, that's great to have you. I'm always interested in how people decide to get into math. You know, you never see kids who say, oh, I want to be a mathematician when I grow up. And yet some of us find ourselves there. How did you decide to become a mathematician, Catherine? So I, I certainly didn't think it as a kid. Um, even, in, even in high school, I wouldn't say I was thinking of being a mathematician. Um, as a kid, I, I did enjoy patterns and problem solving. Uh, my, my mom says that I really enjoyed playing with shoelaces and tying things up in knots as a, as a young child. Are you studying um, knot theory now? <laughs> yeah. I, don't, I wouldn't say I necessarily was inspired by math as a kid so much. I mean, I, I, I certainly enjoyed, like I said, the problem solving aspect of it, um, but I was really into reading and so I didn't did really you finally feel like get interested in math. I took calculus in my senior year and I, when we were talking about infinity, I certainly feel like I had a little bit of inspiration there. Like this, this is a really kind of cool concept, but it wasn't really until college. So the very first uh, course in math that I took in college, um, it was, it was another calculus course. And I think it was much more abstract than I had ever seen um, in high school. It was a lot more, like I really saw the kind of the big ideas a little bit more. It was like, we had to actually talk about why things were true and not just told it was like, this is a formula. You talked about why it was true, how you might think about deriving that. Like that, that was really interesting to me, um, but that even wasn't quite enough, I don't think. Um, it really was like, I was interested in all that. And then um, at, at the very end of that class, I remember I had this, this, this conversation in the hallway with my professor, uh, Ron John Roy, who went on to be my undergraduate advisor. And he's like, what classes are you taking next semester? And I really thought at that point in time that that was going to be like my terminal math class. And really being asked that question <laughs> a little did you know. <laughs> reconsider uh what I was doing and it really inspired me to take more math classes and that's kind of what put me on that track yeah very good so what do you do as a mathematician I, I'm sure a lot of people are wondering what in the world does a mathematician do in fact uh my co-author said that his neighbor thinks well he must work with really really big numbers so <laughs> what do you what do you really do well sometimes you do um, but, uh so uh so i have a job uh as an assistant professor um uh, at a university and so if you're a mathematician uh, you can be different types of mathematicians so you could work for a company or you could be in more like academia which is what I am. Um, so the components of my job, well, I think the most visible component um, of my job is I teach. So uh, I'll teach courses uh, for undergraduate students um, at Long Beach. Um, and then uh, another part of my job um, falls under what we call service. So that's sort of like administrative aspects of the job. It's about things like 
doing outreach to the community, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and then the, I guess, most extra mathy part of my job is, is my research. Um, and that's maybe what you think of, like, what are you doing as a math mathematical researcher? I guess what, what I do um, is I'll, uh, uh, there'll be periods of time in which I'm reading a lot of what other people have done in a particular area that I'm interested in solving a problem in, um, or even finding a problem that I'm interested in solving. Um, it will involve sometimes going to conferences at other universities, even in other countries, um, to be current on what uh, people are thinking about and meeting other people and maybe making collaborations with other people. Um, there'll be the nitty gritty, like you're sitting down and you're trying to work out a particular aspect of a problem that you've been thinking about. And sometimes that is going, goes very quickly and sometimes that goes very slowly and you have a lot of, you know, it's a little bit of a, a grind or you have, to, you have to keep on coming back to the same thing. And then there's the writing of it. So you're usually, even as you're at the beginning of the problem, you're still writing stuff down. And as you finish up solving a problem, a large part of it is actually writing what you did and putting it in the context for other mathematical researchers to read. So I would say those are probably the biggest aspects of that part of the job. Yeah, you talk about the when you're solving a problem, and I think that's something that really doesn't come across to most people, because when you look in a textbook and you see a problem that's all worked out and there's the proof and it starts at the beginning and it ends at the end, you're missing the whole exploration that went into that. Absolutely, absolutely. The, I think I think this is true in 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 like mathematical research writing as well, in that. You, pro you produce something that is the easiest for someone else to understand, but it is often not, does not describe the process in by which you actually solved the problem. That, that's right. Yeah. So what is that process like? What does that feel like? I suppose it's, a, it's just a, it's a very long term version of any sort of like Sudoku puzzle or anything that you've maybe done. A lot of it is also trying to take something that you understand really well from one perspective and try to think about it in a different way. Um, oh yeah, that's exciting. Once you get that, <laughs> you can see that link. Yeah, and then, a, and, and then another, another part of it, I guess, is after having read a fair amount in a certain area, you have these like what I would call mathematical tools or like a tool set. So it's like you have, you, you know of this like hammer that you have here and you have some nails and you have a screw and you have some wood and you're trying to put together something that makes sense. And it might be that you, like you have inherently probably more tools than you need or like tools that you will never use. And then you might have to build some tools yourself. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of, solving a mathematical problem is, is, is that process of negotiating between all the tools that you have and the tools that you need. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. And you never really know which tools you're going to need. Completely accurate. Yeah. Are there any stereotypes about math or misconceptions that you've run across? 
Well, I think ultimately people imagine the mathematical process as like something that comes very easy for mathematicians. It just like magically appears in your head. And I mean, there's there's certainly moments of inspiration and- They're pretty rare, I, hope, I think. Yeah, I mean, I hope everyone has a, a moment like that in their life. Um, but ultimately it's, it's like any other job in that you have these kind of slow parts. You aren't necessarily a genius by doing it. You're, you're someone who's very well trained in their field and is, you know, using, using their training and their smarts to like, to, to do their best shot at something. So I think that's sort of I, important to remember. I think the other thing is, is that people assume that you're kind of cooped up all alone. And I mean, certainly there's periods of time in which you may do that. But um, ultimately, people understand that you tend to get inspired when you talk to other people. And so there's a lot of math that's done either as like a whole research team, or that's just done by the fact that you present your partial work to something and someone asks you a question and that inspires you to go ahead and like uh, take that and do even more with it. So I think that's another important thing to, to know about it. Yeah, it is because there is that stereotype of the, of the bookworm. And you're talking about how people think that this just comes out instantly. I remember, did you ever watch that show uh, called Numbers? About the- Oh yeah, yeah. Crimes? And every week he'd just kind of look at something and he'd come up with this like dissertation level analysis of it. <laughs> and I'm going, this is giving a really unrealistic picture of what mathematicians do. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, if it came that easily, then, you know, we would, <laughs> we would be bored. It wouldn't be as interesting maybe, um, to be honest. Um, true. Part of what makes it worth it is because it, took so much effort in the first place. Yeah, I certainly agree with that. If somebody's interested in understanding what mathematicians do, is there anything, any kind of popular uh, movies or books or anything like that, that that you might recommend? Tell them sure. What it is we do? I, I really like um, Quanta Magazine. Um, oh, yeah. And they have a they have a section of their uh, magazines. It's a web online magazine, and they have a section that's completely devoted to math. They also have sections for different sciences, um, and I think they just do a really good job at um, talking about math, um, about talking about mathematicians and their work, um, and just giving like this overview that I don't often see. In, in other in other places. So I think if you're if you're interested in kind of just knowing news, mathematical news, or you just they'll also do little tidbits where they'll kind of uh, explain uh, some what's usually college level mathematics, to be honest, um, but in a way that's like very accessible to someone with maybe just some like even a little bit of algebra or less, and then you know, give you some like puzzles to play with. And I think that's, I think they just generally do a great job with that. Yeah, that's great. I agree with that. Absolutely. They've got some wonderful articles. Yeah. Any other kind of media that you'd recommend for our listeners? 
Well, the maybe the other one that I would recommend is um, on YouTube, there's a channel called Viheart. Um, I think it's spelled V-I-H-A-R-T. Yeah, and um, in it, she she has some very fun mathematical explorations. It starts out with the premise that you aren't going to be doing any math in this exploration, and then you quickly realize that you are, in fact, doing some quite fun math by the end of it. Oh, cool. So it kind of sucks you in. <laughs> you think you won't be doing any, and suddenly you're doing math. Yep. That, I'm not familiar with that. That sounds like a lot of fun. I'm going to check that out. That's yeah. E-I-H-A-R-T? Yeah. 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 So the premise of the show is that um, she's uh, getting distracted or doodling in math class for most of most of the videos that they start with that premise. And then you kind of watch her as she's doodling and her doodles become sort of something very mathematical. And oh, fun. Speaking of puzzles, uh, yeah. can we go over the puzzle from last time? Sure. Okay. Well, here's what it was. This is from Martin Gardner. Among the assertions made in this problem, there are three errors. What are they? A, two plus two equals four. B, four divided by one half equals two. C, three and one fifth times three and one eighth equals 10. D, seven minus negative four equals 11. E, negative 10 times six, the quantity six minus six equals negative 10. So the question is, what are the three errors? Okay, here's the answer. We go through these one by one. First one, two plus two equals four is true. Four divided by one half is eight, not two. So that one's an error. Okay, we got one. Three and one fifth times three and one eighth. I had to work this one out, but it really does come out to be 10. Okay, that's not an error. 7 minus negative 4 equals 11. That's true. Negative 10 times the quantity 6 minus 6 is 0 and not negative 10. So there's a second error. So what's the third error? Well, the last episode that we had was all about jokes. So this one's kind of a joke. The third error is a statement that there are three errors. Dumb. <laughs> the puzzle for next time. And this one doesn't have a joke answer. You can actually figure it out. Adam and Eve play rock, paper, scissors 10 times. And what you know is Adam uses rock three times, scissors six times, and paper once. Eve uses rock twice, scissors four times, and paper four times. There are no ties in all 10 games. And the order of the games is unknown. Question is, who wins and by how much? And I'll give you a clue. You'll probably need pencil and paper to figure this one out. And this is, by the way, this is from Popular Mechanics, and they also have some very good puzzles. Well, thank you very much, Catherine, for joining us. This has been an interesting conversation. Thank and you. I look forward to talking to you again. We'd love to hear from you. If you have a puzzle or something else that you'd like to share on the air, leave a voice message at anchor.fm slash the art of mathematics with hyphens or email me at cjacoby at jacobyconsulting.com thanks for listening mm -hmm.